Welcome to Buildings and Beyond. The podcast that explores how we can create a more sustainable built environment. By focusing on efficiency, accessibility, and health. I'm Rob Aldrich. And I'm Kelly Westby. Christoph is the principal of Positive Energy in Austin. Their mission is to transform the way conditioned space is delivered to society. They offer residential, outcome-focused design engineering services for robust mechanical systems, as well as off-grid power and water systems. Christoph was also the chair of AIA Austin's Building Enclosure Committee. He has been involved in several ASHRAE committees, including Physiology and Human Environment, Thermal Comfort, Ventilation and IAQ, as well as ResNet ANSI Standards Development Committee. I first learned about Christoph through the Building Science podcast, which he hosts. We wanted to bring him on our show because of his focus on human-centered design. We discussed two main topics in the episode, human psychology related to decision-making and the impact of damp indoor environments on human physiology. If you are considering skipping this because I'm an engineer and I'm not interested in psychology, and besides, I know everything I need to know about mold, stop right there. This episode is particularly for you. But first, a quick aside. My co-host Rob wants you all to join him at the 2019 U.S. Symposium Series for a deep dive into issues and opportunities around electrification in the Northeast. The symposium is brought to you by the Northeast Energy Efficiency Partnerships, the Northeast States for Coordinated Air Use Management, and the Electric Power Research Institute. Pathways to Decarbonization in the Northeast will be held August 27th to 29th at the Marriott Brooklyn Bridge in Brooklyn, New York. The event will convene leaders from government, industry, community, and advocacy to address opportunities, trends, and challenges of minimizing the carbon footprint for homes, buildings, and transportation in the Northeast U.S. Check out the link in our show notes for more details. Now, let's get back to hot and humid buildings and humans in Austin, Texas. So welcome, Christoph, to the Buildings and Beyond podcast. Thank you. And uh, thanks for agreeing uh, to meet me here in this WeWork in beautiful uh, Barton Springs in Austin. My pleasure. And today we wanted to talk a little bit, I'll give a little, give a little background about you in the intro, but we're going to kind of dive into the, I think what people call the softer sides of engineering and building science, which is the psychology and physiology kind of parts of humans. And that sounds good. <laughs> right, great. I know you talk a lot about this. Um, so maybe just give give us a little background. What do you think, where, how did you start to become interested in, in human physiology and how it relates to building science? And um, where do you see the industry needs to maybe make a pivot around, around that? Great. So I'm a problem solver, like as we all are, I think, in, yeah. the, in the back, at least the back of our minds. And I recognize that we're putting a lot of energy and resources into buildings. And uh, coming out of a background at several uh, national labs, I was a research scientist, where we put a lot of inputs in to get the output that we want. Right. So I started to think about, well, what's the output of a home or an apartment? And it's actually you, and it's actually me. It's a healthy, productive member of society. That's what these inputs, you know, we put in electricity and fresh water and data <laughs> today, yeah. um, and you know, and gas and elect, you know, the other inputs, and then the outputs are, you know, the black water, the gray water, things like that. But really, the fundamental output is 
you, the content right. of your mind and the, and the fact that you're in a healthy body. And so that's how I got into it. Yeah. Reframing basically what we're, we're not building buildings for the sake of the building, but for that's housing right. our that's individuals. Right. That's really interesting. I was just at a housewarming uh, the other day, which it was the opening of a multifamily building. And uh, it was someone said something along the lines of, if it's not, uh, you know, what's the, you know, if we're not focusing on the humans that are interacting with the building and living in the building, then what are we doing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's all sort of e- ego trips otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> right. Can I make the biggest or the yeah. smartest or whatever yeah, what building? Yeah. And yeah. Is it really, did you build the building to take pictures of it and get it on house? <laughs> is that really what it was there for? <laughs> you know? house. Yeah. Or something, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And um, so talk to me a little bit about, we, we sort of talked, uh, chatted a little bit in the beginning, but about the invisible and how we as a society, but also in our industry, aren't paying attention to the invisible yeah. and, and what, we, what we can't see can hurt us, I guess, is, is sort of your messaging. Uh, although I'm, I paraphrased a little bit there, but what do you see as some of the key things, like top key things that you wish people knew about or thought about that are invisible? So three come to mind, and two are maybe what most people think of when you talk, talk about invisible, and the third is maybe a little more subtle. But So the, the first two would be uh, invisible in the sense that what we call vision are these eyeball things that we have on our head, and that picks up a narrow range of frequencies and a certain range of sizes, right? So if it's out of that size and frequency range, we call it invisible. So things like thermal bridges are actually invisible, but we've learned as an industry um, through something I jokingly call the hegemony of enclosurism, and, and I, I know you're sort of in, on the enclosure side, but um, we over the last, let's say, 10 years in our industry have really upped our game in understanding enclosures. Meanwhile, indoor air quality is invisible, thermal comfort is invisible. Right. And then, so those were the two, by the way, of two of the three, I wasn't going to talk about thermal bridging, but <laughs> first of all, we talk about what our eyes can pick up, and not just that, but it's, it's what our eyes pick up and that data gets fed into a subjective neural network that's, that then responds with opinions about what our eyes picked up. Right. And that is really where the, the focus of our industry is. Um, so I'm already doing a little sprawl, so I'm going to just make it clear. The three things I think are <laughs> invisible are uh, human psychology. Yeah. And that is the absolutely primary input in, in the building world that is not being paid attention to and that right. has the dominant impact. But then the other two are we are living in the chemical age. We are immersed in chemicals all day long. I mean, this little room we're in is easily 100 pounds of air, which is a compressible fluid, but we are like fish in a little fishbowl. And, you know, <laughs> depending on what I put on me this morning and what's coming off of the kombucha I have here and the <laughs> vinyl table and the flame retardant in the cushion in the chair, right? So we are soaked and immersed in indoor chemicals all day. And by the way, you, you could wear a scuba tank with me right now and they could go transdermal uptake is real. You can get these chemicals in your blood without breathing. Right, okay. Transdermal meaning through the skin. Yeah, like nicotine okay. patch. Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And then we could talk about, there's data behind that. I mean, yeah. that, there's a research study behind that. <laughs> And then, You're not just trying to scare everybody. And then the indoor microbiome, right? The right. microbiota, the um, biotoxins. There's all kinds of ways to refer to this, but the myriad living beings that affect us. Yeah. And, uh, so those would be the three, psychology and chemical pollutants and microbiomes. 
Okay, I like it. Mm-hmm. And the to dive in a little bit more on human psychology, I think we, yeah. we maybe have been talking more about it now, and I don't know if you guys are familiar with the WELL standard, of mm, course absolutely. you are, um, and, or how much uptake it's had in, in Austin. I know, you know it's still sort of small and growing, mm-hmm. but talking more about how we feel in a space a little bit more than what we maybe have done before. Uh, and that's been really interesting to me. And um, I, I was saying I, I dabble in the envelope, but I, you know, my heart is in the mechanical side. Yeah. The, uh, although I like the whole, the whole building it's altogether. Everything. It's all one system. Um, and I always thought, you know, the aesthetics piece is not that important and we need to like get a good enclosure and we need to ventilate right and we need to um, and maybe part of, part of my transition is buying my own house yeah. <laughs> and worrying about what it looks like. But I think also just realizing how, how people feel in a space is so relevant to how they're going to experience the space and how that person is going to be productive later on. So it's, it's interesting that you uh, mentioned psychology. I'm wondering what you're thinking um, when, you, when you say human psychology, what aspects are you thinking mm-hmm. about? Um, well, I, 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 it comes thanks. It's a great question. Uh, the, fundamentally, we have sensors on our bodies and we take in data and then that leads to actions and decisions. And so in between is what I call in human psychology. And I, I know there's probably a formal crunchy definition, but what I guess what I'm referring to is uh, the um, somewhat invisible, even to ourselves, value preference systems that we use to guide our decisions. Mm-hmm. And one of them that is really strikingly powerful in our industry it are the opinions and the preferences and the kind of the background history of owners and developers. Because I'm reading an awesome book right now called The Right Use of Power. Okay. I recommend it for we'll everyone. We'll link to it. It's not building science related odds, it's psychology. <laughs> but, but basically, where is the power? Like you're at a project team meeting. Yeah. Um, mm. Someone in that project team, typically the architect, or if the owner or the developer are there, that's where the power is. Yeah. Right? But typically, they're not often at the meetings, but the owner interests are either held by an owner's rep mm-hmm. or the architect purports mm-hmm. to say, I, I am speaking in, on these decisions. So that's where the power is. And often that power is ill-informed. It, mm-hmm. is, it is biased by um, eyeballs, by economics, and by um, kind of like egos. Like, yeah. this is what I do. And that's a really important one. Let, let's say I'm a developer, and I have been a small developer. I've built many homes in Austin. I had the power. And I recognize in hindsight now that I didn't have the body of knowledge to make good decisions. I, I assumed everything was fine such that it was reasonable to focus on aesthetics, mm-hmm. right? So at the same time, I lacked this really important character trait that is detrimental to developers in some way, and that's called humility. And what I mean <laughs> by that is if I'm a developer, I've got a lot of money on the line. This is a risky situation. Similarly, if I'm, a, if I'm a builder, if I'm a general contractor, I need to be a motive force and make this happen. Right. And um, neither one of those is like, gee, I wonder if I should rethink my approach. Gee, is there anything I don't know? Are there unknown unknowns? So these 
personality types and these character traits that are needed to make these big projects come to fruition right. are actually not including humility and not including the, 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 the soft side of, you know, should I rethink things or is there yeah. something new? Yeah. That's actually incredibly interesting because I've been thinking a lot about this from the commissioning side. So I do a lot of commissioning and you're, you are supposed to influence the entire job, but you have no authority whatsoever. You don't hold any <laughs> of the contracts, right? And so, you know, the, and, and I've also actually been, you know, I lead a team. I think there's some translation between how I lead or want to lead, um, in within the office internally and how I want to lead uh, kind of externally and, and with a uh, project team. Right. And so there's this, I think, mentality, and I don't know if it's New York City-centric, to be honest, but we like to get in a room and just yell. That's that's the tactic of, of command and control, if you right. will. So the Louder command Louder is more correct. <laughs> right, right, something <laughs> like that. Um, and, and really what that produces is a bunch of people running around and s- agreeing with you in the meeting and then knowing that they're never going to meet those deadlines or um, saying yes, 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 and then cutting corners somewhere else so that they can you know, meet the deadline, meet the fee, whatever. Yeah. Um, and I see this happen again and again. And I think that just what you said, uh, this shift in can we rethink the way that we've structured this so that we can take into consideration the amazing experience that we have at this table that doesn't necessarily reside all within that one person who happens to be the loudest or happens to have the power or hold the cash? Yeah, yeah. There's a beautiful quote. I took some philosophy classes in college and there's a quote that stuck with me is, what does he know of London, he who only London knows? <laughs> and excuse the patriarchal reference with the he, he there, but... Like, what do we really know about our industry if all we know is our industry locally, right? Mm. Like, in central yes. Texas, people consider, in residential contexts, certainly, ductboard and flex air distribution systems is completely normal. It's like, you know, fast food restaurants are, in fact, restaurants, and that's all we need to know about. Yeah. Um, and so uh, there's this implicit distortion that the that I mean that the hardworking, dedicated human beings that are installing these systems and recommending these systems, they don't even recognize that if, if I go to Seattle or New York or, or even Washington, D.C., that metal distribution systems are quite common and mm-hmm. that's normal there. So... Uh, it is interesting, and I think a lot of people come into the context of something new and assume that their prior experience will apply right. uh, until like completely proven otherwise. They need to be proven otherwise rather than taking kind of an open approach. And I think you've spoken to this on, I've heard you speak about, um, you know, that I've been doing this for 30 years. Everyone's gotten that comment before. <laughs> Independent of the industry, I think everybody wants to say, you know, I've been doing this for X years, so just listen to me, whatever. Um, but you talk a little bit about, well, that's okay, and, and you probably have some really important ideas and reasons behind why you're doing what you're yeah. doing, but the buildings are changing. Codes are changing. Things are, so if you continue to build the way that you've been building with these new changes, we're going to run into problems. That's right. So, um, so I think that, that perspective is really important. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and I need to remind myself often to, to stay connected to the individual I'm talking to and saying, look, this individual cares about 
themselves, their work, their family, this project. That's why these opinions are coming out. Yeah. And how do I work with that? How do I redirect that in a way? Like, look, I can tell you really care about what you do. Did you know that buildings use less energy now, that the CFM per square foot is down by about a factor of two from what it was a few years ago? Yeah. And I think that the that's an interesting thing that I've kind of learned on my career journey in the very beginning, I think it's always, why, why aren't they paying attention to this thing? Right. right? Why, why can't they just install the air barrier properly? Why can't they just install a balancing valve? Why can't they, whatever it is, why can't they just whatever? And that's from my seat of these are the five things that I'm paying attention to. Why can't they pay attention to these five things? Well, they're also paying attention to their own five, 10 millions of things. Yeah. And so realizing that was an important shift in my ability to work with other people on, on teams. And I think that's, yeah, yeah, it's so easy to go into the blame and it's so easy to go into, you know, basically thinking of other people as the issue and right. Yeah, you're exactly right. It's a team, but it's an, it's a team with people, people are, um, they have different reward kind of, um, systems in place for them, right? The architect would be. Um, delivering a design on time and maybe one that hits the budget or the general contractor, definitely it's about schedule and budget. And, yeah. um, a lot of the things that are invisible suffer because of that. And I think it, it's poised to shift uh, with, you know, this is the information age and we've talked about the hierarchy. There's information and then knowledge and then wisdom. Right. So unfortunately, we're only in the information <laughs> age. We have a lot of data. <laughs> I would like it to be the wisdom age or something. Yeah. But... In the information age, what's going to happen in indoor spaces relatively quickly, it's ongoing, we know this, is uh, the overlap of sensors yeah. that are going to make the vi- invisible visible for us. I, like you, uh, I, I know a lot of numbers. I know a lot of data. I right. can measure. And I just assumed, kind of like cigarettes, you'd say, look, most people that smoke cigarettes are unhealthy because of it, and they can get really bad illnesses. Oh, I'll stop smoking cigarettes. Yeah. No, so data. So yeah. I've, basically, I was, I'm a data-driven person, and I thought if I just communicated the right data in the right way, then the decisions would change. Then people would see the light, you know, like, oh. <laughs> yeah. But You're instead, right. I started studying, like, well, what does change behavior because that's ultimately what yeah. we want. We don't need more credentials. We yeah. need behavior to change. Yeah. Actions. Stories change yeah. behavior. And now when you talk about stories, you, you end up in this slippery kind of squishy reality where, um, I, mean, I guess fake news is sort yeah. of in the news now, right? So the stories are very important because they change behavior. But unless the stories are anchored to fact, they are not helping the situation. Yeah. You can't just tell stories and like right. so from for me as a as a building science consultant, as an engineer, I can tell you the story that is based in reality of a a, a man who had asthma for sixty some years and did a home performance retrofit and is now hasn't used in his his inhaler in seven years, right? Mm-hmm. That's a huge quality of life benefit. Yeah. Um and it happens to be real. And, and yeah. But I could also tell other stories. I could just make up stuff like right, that. So right. it's, it's a weird thing to, to say that stories change behavior, therefore we should focus on stories. Right. <laughs> I actually think that's that's essential because having having that engineering problem-solving mindset, I think, we think about data. And now uh, data itself, I think, I mean, we looked at energy data for a building recently 
Then we got a little bit of occupancy data from that. We tried to adjust, but then we got more occupancy data and it didn't coordinate with the older data. So sometimes more data just is more confusion, yeah. uh, which is its own own topic, I think. But for, I think that there are instances where we can look at a bunch of data and actually have less clarity, or we look at it with our own lens and we still have a subjective view, even though we That's say it's right. data backed. And so I think we have to be really, really important in our industry, um, especially because it's not, it's this combination between hard and soft sciences. And how do we, how do we address both sides of that? How do mm -hmm. we look at the data and interpret it in a way that's not with our own subjective bias and then be able to translate that in a way where you can you can tie into people's emotions because that's what you're saying it's like exactly right. emotions is where we make we make change if you just don't, you just warned me about my coffee uh, drinking <laughs> habits just before we <laughs> we started talking here and um, and I'm gonna continue drinking coffee because yeah. I know about that and I I've have I've weighed the the benefits uh, myself but uh, maybe one day I'll come I'll come over to the other side but. Um, but I think, you know, you're right. If, if there was something that maybe was more personal to me, if I, if I had a parent that had issues related to some sort of, you know, consumption of, I, I don't smoke cigarettes, but maybe that would be, you know, that would be the kind of trigger of something like that. Even yeah. though, you know, data wise, you're going to be impacted by this. It's until you kind of feel it personally. That's exactly right. So, uh, you yeah. just brought up something for me. I'm, I'm presenting tomorrow at a conference in Houston, and, and one of the things I'm talking about are the five principles of healthy homes, which mm -hmm. are start with a good enclosure, right. minimize indoor emissions, keep it dry, ventilate, and filter. And we could talk about that, but what I wanted to say is one of the things that gives me solace and gives me hope you know, as a mechanical designer is, look, keeping it dry, ventilating properly, and capturing particulate pollutants, those are really important actions that I don't need to change anything else that's going on mm -hmm. in, in the situation, and I can make a difference. And where this came to me from was basically this electronic commissioning, this constantly you know, evaluating sensors and shifting things. Both of these, so I am having success in the industry selling better solutions for indoor air quality based on technologies that have been available for a long time. And that's a big, big thing, and that's a good thing. You are having success with you know, um, sensors and evaluating data and occupancy data and making real-time adjustments to save energy. Meanwhile, those are like the tip of the iceberg things. Over here we have, why are all these pollutants in the building and in the building mm -hmm. materials? And why do I need to focus on dry, ventilate, and filter? You know, can't we address the root causes? Mm -hmm. And then even beyond that, when it comes to saving energy through sensors and commissioning, what about the palette of colors of the building materials that we use today? Why are downtown's canyons of concrete, glass, and steel the highest embodied energy material? You know, it's just yeah. it's like the big issues are so big that we as an industry kind of go, uh, we'll talk let's about that talk later. about this. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. Although the the big wood buildings is a is a big it's topic, coming so we'll fast. we'll have to have a separate yeah. whole episode about that. But definitely, I think people are talking more about embodied carbon and uh, in in building materials. But I think we still just don't know what to do about it. Yeah. Uh, especially when everybody's and, trying to build the tallest this or the what you know biggest yes. that. Mm -hmm. um, you were sort of stretching the the limits of some materials in some ways, and you know we. We certainly can't build some of the buildings that we build in New York City out of wood, uh, for example. So, so that yeah, that is an interesting. Well, uh, used in the right way at the right time. But yeah. It, mm -hmm. 
But I was, I was just going to say, pivoting us back, because I want to be conscious of your uh, your timeline here. I know you're renovating your own office, yeah, so uh, we'll have to hear hear back stories of lessons learned after that. Okay. Um, but pivoting us back to the interior space and some of the things that we can, um, you know, address. You've mentioned uh, you mentioned to me that you know we're so focused on mold because it's one of the <laughs> the human yeah. uh, or issues with humidity that we can see that comes up. That's right. It's um, visible and therefore important. Right. And so, t- talk to us a little bit more. We're in Austin right now. It's hot and humid. It's getting hotter by the by the hour here. Uh, what are some of the issues that you run into with humidity in buildings that you think people aren't paying attention or enough attention to yet? So yeah, this gets back to where we were in the beginning of the episode in some ways where we use, we base most of our decisions in life on the premise that as things are the way I see them, um, and see is also in that sentence is like uh, interpret them with my mind and my thoughts. um, Well, that's fundamentally incorrect, right? So we cannot see or perceive um, the flickering of a fluorescent light, but we know it gives us eye fatigue and headaches over time. So that shows the difference between what I consider the, like the limbic system, the body's emoting system and sensing system, and the neocortex, which is the one that we relate to. So, hello, I'm Christoph, you're, you're Kelly, you know, right. that's our neocortex, what's your favorite color? Um, and so a, a, one of the books I was reading not too many years ago talks about um, our bodies take in a about 250,000 to 50,000, between 50,000 and 250,000 more data than it sends to our neocortex. So our neocortex is completely, woefully uninformed. (laughs) And when it comes to damp buildings, mold is visible. People talk about mold a lot. It's almost as if if you want to find, if you want to recognize a a fairly facile uh, understanding of indoor environments, you will hear someone talk about mold and mold and mold and mold spores, spore counts. And they won't talk to you about um, bacterial endotoxins and, and dinoflagellates and spirochetes and, you know, all these other things, epicomplexins. I mean, there's just these, this, this rich um, microbiology that we are immersed in and it's interacting with itself. Um, all of these, like mold emits spores um, and the spores break into small fragments and bacteria can live on the fragments. The fragments can affect us. The bacteria on the fragments can then affect other bacterial populations in the room. So it's this incredibly complex, multivariate, multi-layered, rich dynamic interaction that we say, oh, it's mold. Yeah. Right? It would be nice if it were just mold. It would be much easier <laughs> yeah. to deal with. Um, yeah, and so the, 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 where it really goes, where it needs to go quickly is we just need to understand that keeping buildings dry is very important Mm -hmm. and that when you allow moisture to get into a space water does two things fundamentally it takes things apart that's kind of why we wash our hands with it that's why we wash things with it and it causes life to thrive right Mm. we're we're, most of us are based on aqueous chemistry there's some things living near vents in the ocean that are living on different chemistry yeah Yeah. so that's interesting so are would you say um that maybe most people are thinking well whatever moisture content is in my home, unless there's mold, it's not a problem. And you're saying, no, 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 no. That's the- right, I am saying, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> you, you will not see it by the time, often by the time it gets to be mold, um, 
there have so been many other things. background impacts for, for could be decades or something like yeah. that. It could be wow. years. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. And so what are some convince, convince me and the other uh, folks listening here, what are the things that I should be worried about when, when I let my home become damp, even if there's no mold in there? What, well, what impacts is that having? The, are the materials that are becoming damp, are they made out of organic matter so that that can be become food for a bacteria mm-hmm. or, or a fungi um, or, or other things, right? It, it can become larger things like um, parasites and mites. They can live on that. We can start to mm. see those. They can be smaller things like viruses. So it's really hard to, to know. But what we know as, an, as a society based on peer-reviewed medical research is that the um, indoor environment uh, the, the quality of that, and let's just, right now we're just talking about, let's say, dampness. Mm-hmm. So damp indoor environments are what correlate with negative health outcomes. It is not fungal communities correlate with okay. health outcomes. So it's damp indoor environments. It's also called water-damaged buildings is, mm-hmm. is another way to describe it. And these outcomes, these negative health, outcome, health outcomes, they aren't, oh, I have uh, asthma. I mean, they, they are, but they, I'm sorry. They aren't just, oh, I have asthma. Oh, I have breathing difficulties. Oh, I have some sort of symptom that I can logically, causally trace back to an indoor air exposure that is um, now, you know, like, oh, I had water and I have mold and now I have asthma. No, it can be heart disease. It can be strokes. It can be obesity. That, like, so if you have someone that's gaining weight and it's not responding to diet and exercise, it, it, it can be just myriad different things. Problem sleeping, not sleeping deeply, having attention deficit. I mean, all of these things are basically triggered by exposure to indoor environments. And I, I don't mean just mold spores. I mean, particles, chunks of spores, molecules and spores, the dinoflagellate, they can break into parts. We breathe those things in. And what happens is our body has an immune system. You have an innate and an acquired immune system. I'm realizing this is sprawling out. I, I'm, <laughs> Okay. It's, yeah. it's really, really the fundamental challenge is this is such a big body of knowledge and information. Yeah. And I'm trying to find a path to get us through in a concise manner. Right. And it's like, whoa, I'm going to block off this whole room right. full of knowledge. Yeah. We'll have to have a series of, yeah. of episodes on this. And, and we had a, a health episode earlier and just talking about, you know, we as, as building science professionals, or as people who work on buildings that humans are gonna live in, we all need to be at least aware that this is an item that we need to be looking into, we need to be paying attention to. Right, um, yeah, and I'm gonna wrap up where I was, and, yeah. and I agree with you completely. It is definitely an item you need to be paying attention to and look into, and it, it quickly, um, it's like what we talked about, you know, canyons of glass, steel, and concrete, but that's much harder to deal with. Let's focus on these things that are easier to deal with. This problem is so complex that you could almost say it's, it's too complex for me to make decisions based on it. Yet we do other things in our life like buckling a seatbelt, like brushing our teeth that are based more on a precautionary principle. So why is it that when it comes to invisible things, we're yeah. not willing to do it? And the invisible thing that I really wanted to finish that last chain of thought, which is your own immune system, once triggered, can become the disease itself. And what I mean by that is you can be exposed to things in an indoor environment. We can clear the indoor environment yeah. and your body can for decades still be tweaked, still be going like, uh, yeah. 
And that is something that is profoundly vast in our society that we're not paying attention to. Yeah, wow. You touched a nerve there for me because we have uh, a, a autoimmune deficient or de- uh, autoimmune related issues in my family that goes that goes back. So that's uh, it's interesting in terms of we talked about inflammatory coffee has uh, inflammatory properties mm-hmm. and things that we're putting into our body and things that are going to do long term damage. That's um, you're exactly right. And say there's a story yeah. there that you're, yeah. you're going to feel your emotions getting triggered. Yeah. Autoimmune disorders, inflammatory responses are absolutely triggered by indoor environmental exposures wow. all the time. <laughs> so now that our audience is completely overwhelmed freaked out <laughs> <laughs> and worried about and and maybe you're going to pinch pitch tents now in the wilderness that or something. That would be the old friend's <laughs> microbiome, yeah. Um, what, what do you think is, is one thing that all of us can take to our next project to try to improve this issue of, of damp buildings mm-hmm. specifically? Well, um, the enclosure is very important for dampness, right? Yeah. Air, air leakage from an outside, the outside of the humid climate is a big problem. Getting your control layers right. Just around the corner here, there's a residential... There's a stucco building just built maybe a year ago. They're peeling off all the stucco. Almost undoubtedly because solar-driven radiation, solar-driven moisture diffusion, they have control layers that are all vapor open. They did it. They tried They put zip on and then Tyvek on Um, and then the felt and then the lath. And and the only reason I can think of that they're pulling all the stucco off a year into this beautiful architect design custom home is moisture issues. And so here was a team that tried to do it right but it wasn't based on enough science. Um, so that keeping it dry is thinking about the enclosure and it's thinking about what is the system that dries it? Is it the cooling and heating system? Probably not. It's mm-hmm. probably a drying system in our climate. Um, as soon as you do what you need to do to make a, like a, basically a fairly airtight enclosure that's resistant to moisture, well now ventilation and filtration become very important, right. as do your decisions and actions as an owner about what cream did I put on my skin? What, what do I do to freshen my air? I'm using air quotes there. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's complex. Okay, so, um, so but I, I, it's complex, but I think in terms of taking away, thinking, I mean, it goes back to what we, as building science people actually have been saying for years and years, which is build tight, ventilate right, right? Yeah, so that's actually what we're, what we're getting back to. And, and the other, uh, I think to your point about getting the control layers, right? They, they did what they were supposed to do. They insulated, they put an air barrier yeah. in, but it's actually not just the putting the air barrier in. I was at a commissioning conference and we talked a lot about uh, building enclosure commissioning. Right. The actual surface of the material that is your air barrier is pr- it's not the problem. Typically not. It's wherever your interfaces are. Yeah. So can we pay a little bit more attention to the details? You say the tyranny of enclosures, right? We've been so focused on enclosures, but I think we've been in fo- focused on you need an air barrier. You mm-hmm. need an air barrier material. Here are some air barrier materials. I think we still are struggling as an industry in terms of the enclosure details. Absolutely. Yeah, and we, and we struggle as a society with... Um, with, details? <laughs> with, with solutions that are not based on purchases, right? It's great. Yeah. It's great to buy a Prius. It's great mm-hmm. to buy a Tesla. It's easy to buy Powerwall battery. Well, not as easy to buy Powerwall batteries, but <laughs> people want to. Or the electronic commissioning. That's based on controls that are available. The yeah. filter, ventilate, and dry. Right? Yeah. Those are product-based solutions. VRF. As well. Right. VRF systems. 
what's hard is exactly what you say. It's not just interfaces between materials. It's interfaces between trades. <laughs> oh, right? yeah. And, and, and the architecture makes a difference. Did, can you not have the building constantly moving in and out in the vertical plane? You know? <laughs> Mr. Um, Architect. Yeah. So it's behavior changes. And um, I think, you know, one of the things we're getting toward wrapping this up is that we spend around 80 years, that's the average life expectancy uh, right now, inside. I'm sorry, alive. It's been 80 years alive, 70 years of that inside a building. Right. So it's, it's really poignant. Um, I would like to see groups like Delos with the Well Standard. I would like to have them to say, you know what, we're going to start with wherever people's beds are. Because that's where most of the time is. They currently don't do residential. They certainly don't do single-family residential. I, right. I, I hope that's that's where as, their aspiration. But we tend to start our, our large new building certifications in commercial buildings because there's more fee, I guess, there. There's more square footage. I, I don't know exactly why. I'm guessing. I Tell think, me why. I would say I think the reason is um, we, we've, we had historically spent a lot of time focusing on efficiency in larger like office buildings. But actually, energy is like an order of magnitude or two less uh, per square foot that you're paying per square foot than the humans you're paying to employ here. Oh my gosh, yes, yeah. And so an increase in 10% in efficiency is just so insignificant compared to a 10 increase, a 10% increase in productivity. That's right. And so I think, and cause I've seen, um, I don't know, there's a cog FX study that we referenced mm-hmm. in the, the and it's easier, it's hard a little bit to measure kind of human interact, uh, cognition. cognition around the home. But when you're thinking about it in an office perspective, it's, it's significantly easier and you can kind of see how the tasks are, um, are, you can increase productivity of employees by increasing ventilation rates or by using um, you know, better materials or whatever it is. And so I think that is probably why um, why the focus is, mm-hmm. is there. But I think you're absolutely right in terms of bringing it back to the home. And you talk a little bit about, you know, we spend a lot of our time in our homes. That's and right. so uh, we, you know, we like to talk about build, big buildings and the bigger the better and whatever. But in terms of bigger time spend, you're, you're in your home <laughs> most yeah. of the time. Yeah, we, we uh, let's see, I'm going to pause for a minute and get yeah. my thoughts because you said something. Well, I'm just going to go with this. So the, the positive energy name, right, when, oh, yeah. when we started it, it relates to what you just said, which is that it was obviously about net positive energy buildings. Um, it was also about, yes, we can do this. <laughs> yeah. Yes, we can as an industry. And it was also about, and this is you know, maybe living in Austin, which is kind of woo-woo, which is <laughs> the, when you make a home healthy and um, the parents and children's cognition is better and they slept more deeply, their lives are better, right? Yeah. That's the positive energy. And one of the things there is that people love, like we just talked, you just talked about energy code. We talked about energy code in this podcast and you just talked about energy, effic- energy efficiency. And there's this adjective operational mm-hmm. versus embodied that is, is, it's wonderful that it's starting to get called out. Like, so the international energy conservation code is actually the international operational energy conservation code. We're not interested in conserving embodied energy yet. We're starting right. to be, but we're mainly interested in embodied in operational energy. Yeah. Right. That's an excellent point. And so to, to my point, I will, uh, we'll wrap up here. Um, that was an excellent conversation. We went, it took a little bit of a windy path, and but that's where the industry is. It's <laughs> yes, I liked future. it. Um, and 
What I like to ask is, when we have you back on the podcast in five years, uh, what do you think we'll be talking about then? Aha. I, I, I so hope we're talking about embodied energy and putting this, okay. this time element back in. And I, and I hope that cradle we- Cradle to cradle. We, cradle to cradle. Yeah, this, this, yeah, like so that piece of steel, where did it come from and where is it going? It's not just all about my building, it's about resources. So that's one thing I hope, and I, I can see a shift happening. I mean, we are talking about, um, to make a crazy metaphor, like the organic food section of the building industry. Mm -hmm. And living here in Austin, um, Whole Foods started here, so it was always easy, but I would go to other cities like Corpus Christi 10 years ago, and good luck finding organic produce, and now there's big sections. So. Large swaths of the country are interested in organic produce, and so I think large swaths of the industry are going to be interested in buildings that are healthy. Great. That's an excellent note to end on. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for being on the podcast. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Buildings and Beyond. For more information about the topics discussed today, visit www.swinter.com podcast and check out the episode show notes. Buildings and Beyond is brought to you by Stephen Winter Associates. We provide energy, green building, and accessibility consulting services to improve the built environment. Our professionals have led the way since 1972 in the development of best practices to achieve high-performance buildings. Our production team for today's episode includes Dylan Martello, Alex Mirable, and myself, Heather Breslin. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>